Hey, this is Lucas Granger. I am the lead pastor here at Coastal Church, and I just want to take a minute and say thank you for tuning in to today's service here at Coastal. It is such a joy to know that we are not just ministering to people right here in our hometown, but literally people throughout the entire world. So if you would, take a minute and ask that you would just think about partnering with us prayerfully and financially. You can get more info at our website at mycoastalchurch.com or simply just download the app. Uh, more connection points, how to get connected, uh, tons of free resources. And so listen, sit back, hope you enjoy today's message. As always, grace and peace. Well, good morning, everyone. It is, you know, I, I guess every place is the front here. <laughs> if I start staggering off the stage after a while, I'm old. So uh, I do appreciate Lucas inviting us to come. By the way, this is my wife, Karen, if you'd raise your hand. She's been my girlfriend for 52 years, and next week she'll have been my wife for 50 years. And, uh, yep. Man, gosh, Lucas, you had to pray like that, didn't you? Okay, it is good to be here with all of you, and uh, Lucas, I know you've probably heard this before, but Lucas, Chris, and some of you were with us at Seacoast Vineyard for a while before you planted out down here, and I've just been wonderfully amazed at all that's going on up here, and look at you guys, I mean, after the pandemic, look at you, I mean... This is wonderful, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's wonderful. And so I applaud you, Karen and I do, Seacoast Vineyard does. I transitioned out six months ago and, uh, and enjoying life. I want to be in, uh, we're going to be in Acts, the 12th chapter today. If you have your app up, your Bible app, or if you've got your Bible, I like to run the hot rod, because I just like it. <sighs> It'll be up on the screens too, but I wonder if you could, it's a, not a super lengthy passage, but I, I feel like I can't chop it up, and so would you read it with me, it's up on the screens, so we could read the Bible together, I think it's beautiful, I love to hear the church read scripture together, so could we do that, here we go, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnest, earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. I love it. Bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get off, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. 
He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. And I'll just put in there, went back to praying for Peter. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers, this is the half-brother of Jesus now, James. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, let me just end it here. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards in order that they be executed. Lord, bless your word today. Take us uh, right back, God, to this moment. And we know that your word transcends time. If we could just grab it, Lord, and bring it with us, we know it's an encouragement to us. And so, Lord, help me this morning. Give me the gift of teaching for the next few minutes. Lord, may we all hear what you want us to hear. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Come, dwell, be in us. Work through us. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this time is only maybe 10 to 15 years after Jesus has ascended. So everything was pretty fresh. I bet you guys can remember 10 years ago, can't you? Can you remember? I can't, but most of you can. <laughs> 10, 15 years, it's fresh. They had been around Jesus. They had walked with him, many of them. So it was still fresh, but he had gone back. And now the disciples you know, were organizing, and his central group of disciples were trying to come to grips with what was happening. And, and so there's a great celebration in Jerusalem. It's Passover time. And it's really kind of funny to me, or ironic, I guess I, I should say, that, that this is happening. Think of this. The, the, Jewish people are celebrating Passover when they were delivered from Egypt. But they take disciples, put them in jail and kill them and don't. After they've experienced what it means to be delivered from Pharaoh out of Egypt, at the same time, they are putting the apostles and believers in jail. Now, let me just explain this story just a little bit more with the characters. Agrippa, this is Herod Agrippa. He's part Jewish by a half-uncle who married his sister. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. And as you dig into this thing, and more and more you realize, wow, you know, the Herods, the kings, you know, that was a special group of people in, in many ways. And so, you know, Herod, though he was much admired by the Jewish people because of that connection to the Jewish people, and because he did kind of uh, align himself with the Sadducees, and 
they liked him. And so he would always try to suck up to them, do what he could to get their favor. But this guy was no pushover. Though he was known as fairly pious, uh, he was no pushover. You know, one of the things I read about him was that he executed 1,600 criminals in one day because the country wanted him to deal with it. And so he lined them all up in one day and killed all of them. He also went bankrupt when he was in Rome from spending it on trying to get influence with everyone, and his sister had to bail him out. And so he just kind of moved through the ranks until he came to this place where he was exercising a whole lot of authority. And this is where we find Peter in jail after James has been executed. Peter, you know, I love, I love his story. I love watching him in the scripture because he's the guy that always put his foot in his mouth, isn't he? But it seems like God has a really wonderful practice of picking people <laughs> that maybe we never would pick, you know, like surfers and different people like that. And, <laughs> and then says, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to work through you. And you're like, oh, man, not me. <laughs> There's no way. You don't know my past. And he's like, I don't care about your past. What I care about is now, right now, with you, where you are right now. And so God has a great, wonderful practice of doing that. And as we see on the day of Pentecost, Peter, Peter changed in that moment when the Holy Spirit came upon him. And he preached his first sermon. And all these people come to know Jesus. And verse 5 says, so Peter was kept in prison. But I want you to know this. What's the next words? But the church. If you don't take anything with you today, take this. Anytime you see challenges in life and you see people struggling and you see trouble, just go to Acts 12, 5 and go, but the church. But the church. I did a study one time looking for but God and went through the whole scriptures. It was amazing how many times that shows up. Situations are bad. Things are going on. But God. But it's also true when we get to the New Testament that the church is the body of Christ. So when we go back through the Gospels and we see Jesus walking with his body, touching people, healing people, giving bread out, water out, loving people, restoring people, now the church is his body. So we read, but the church. But the church was earnestly praying to God for Peter. This is while Peter was in prison and James had already been executed. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, Mentions the death of James kind of quickly, don't you think? Then he moves on to Peter's situation. And I think what we have in Acts 12 is a picture of what we've called, and many theologians have called, the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Like we live in between the times. We live in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. We have seen what it means when God's rule happens, when God gets what he wants in Jesus We know exactly what that looks like because all you have to do is look at Jesus and you'll see what it's like when the kingdom comes to earth. But we also know that he went back to heaven and that one day he will return. We live in between those times and that's why Jesus taught us to pray this beautiful prayer. Your kingdom, your rule and reign, come on the earth. Let it be done as it's done in heaven. Whatever we see in heaven, we his people, his church... We have the wonderful opportunity to pray the prayer of Jesus. Like, Lord, come and make it on the earth right now. 
like it's going to be when you come in the second coming. But we live in between, so there's battles, and we know that we don't always hit that. And I think that's where Luke comes in when he writes that James has been killed, but he doesn't spend any time on it because we know that happens. And so we have James, but then we have Peter's story of deliverance. We have a not yet in James, and we have an already in Peter. But I love this, but the church was earnestly praying to God for Peter. What do we do when we don't see the kingdom the way we really would love it to be? You know, some churches don't talk about that. It's all, you know, we don't talk. We're just coming through and still coming out of a pandemic. No, it's rare that you hear churches talk about what's going on now. What's, what loss have you experienced? Where are you? How has it affected you? But the Bible's not silent when those times come at all. And there's great comfort there. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11, <clears throat> Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can, what? Comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. And then in verse 11, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So there is a portion in this story of where the church is having to deal with that, that James is gone. I was married about two or three years when the guy that led me to Christ, a guy named Danny, got word to me, I was probably 22, 23 years old, that he had had his first child, a daughter. So I rushed up to Grand Strand General to the hospital to see Danny. This guy prayed with me at a surfing contest to accept Jesus. And here we are all these years later. I just never got over it. And, uh, and so I rushed up to be with Danny to congratulate him. And I got up there. And his daughter had been born without a forearm. And I, you know, I'm 23 years old. I'm heartbroken. I'm like, gosh, Danny, I'm really sorry. And he looked at me. He was the same age as I was, and he kind of smiled. And he goes, what are you sorry for? I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, that your daughter was born without her arm. And he goes, oh, don't be sorry for us. He said, somehow God knew all of this. He knew me and Susan, his wife. He knew us, and he trusted us enough to allow this, to know that we would love her and care for her. So it's a compliment to us. And he had a smile on his face. It is about context many times, isn't it? There was a guy in Myrtle Beach who was just famous for just sharing Jesus everywhere he went. He got cancer and many of us were praying for him. It got worse and worse. He went to Houston for treatment. One Sunday evening, the phone rings and it's him, Charlie. And he can barely talk. He's Tim, how are you? I'm like, Charlie, what are you doing? He's like, I called to pray for you. I'm like, you called to pray for me? He said, yeah. 
Tell me how I can pray for you. I love you, Tim. What can I do? And so I told him and I prayed for him. And then I found out he'd called like 150 people to pray for them. And he died like a week and a half later. But he didn't let it stop him. It was not yet for him. But he didn't stop with the already of comfort, the already of praying for others. And there's one other story here I want to say because these have impressed me. When the first board I was ever on, the board of a church, I was 27 years old, probably shouldn't have been on it. And because um, I didn't know anything about church. And um, so on the board, and one of our board members, a guy named Paul, got cancer. And I was in a Pentecostal church at that time, and they practiced this thing called foot washing. I know it's weird. You're going, what? You wash his foot? No, it is kind of strange. But it's what Jesus did to his disciples, right? And so at the board meeting one night, the pastor said, we're going to wash one another's feet. And before I could get on my knees, Paul, who was dying of cancer, got on his knees. Came over to me, took socks off. I'll never forget this. He kissed my feet, and then he washed them. I'm like, there's somebody who's not letting their situation stop them from comforting others and being there for others. And we can't let it stop us, church. We don't let it dominate, just like Luke didn't put a whole lot in there. Because I think he spends a lot more time on the already than he does the not yet. But when it doesn't happen, when it doesn't go like we've prayed, but the church... But the church steps up to encourage, to care for, to comfort with the comfort that we've been comforted. I think that's eight or nine times in this verse in 2 Corinthians that the word comfort or comforting is mentioned. You think Paul is trying to get a point over? Like, yeah, comfort one another. Be there for one another. Rodney Stark in his wonderful book on the study and the history of Christianity called The Triumph of Christianity. He documents how its growth and makeup and how it treated others. Listen to this. In the midst of the squalor, misery, illness, and anonymity of ancient cities, Christianity provided an island of mercy and security. But the church. We have a pandemic. But the church. Someone we love is sick. But the church. Someone's going through a hard time. But the church. Whatever's going on, and this is not just to ourselves, but this is as an example out to others. As we are the body of Jesus, walking through our towns, through Ocean Isle, through Holden Beach, through Shalot, through all the areas around here. We are the body of Christ. And we comfort others with the comfort that we have been comforted. I've got to rush along here. In Acts 12, 5 through 11, Peter is awakened by an angel. He is so asleep, the angel had to really shake him. I mean, he had to, the word used there is pretty much like, wake up, dude. You know, like this. And he was sound asleep. <clears throat> and he knew he was going to be executed as soon as Passover was over. I think probably he saw James and he knew Jesus' words to him, right? That one day someone's going to lead you where you don't want to go. And he's probably remembering those words and he's going, this is it. But you know, just in Acts 10, you just look over a few pages and Peter was liberated from jail before. So he's seen it happen before, Right? But he's thinking, okay, I got one get-out-of-jail card free. But I'm not getting another one. I'm not getting another one. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And it is kind of funny. He gets, he gets out. The angel wakes him. 
takes him out. There's a soldier chained to one arm, the other arm. There's two soldiers by the door. There are four. They have three-hour shifts so that no one will fall asleep. And um, somehow they don't see this happening. The chains fall off. Peter walks out with the angel. He still thinks he's dreaming, just like when he dreamed that dream on top of the building when he's getting ready to have lunch about Cornelius and the unclean animals and all of that. He probably thought, I'm just having another one. This is before I see Jesus face to face again. So he's in that middle twilight zone, you know, of not being awake, being awake. And so he gets up and he's like, man, this is the coolest dream ever. I think we did this before. I think we did this before. I remember, yeah, angel woke me up and, you know, the door opens automatically like this door over here in the bathroom. And like it opened up and, you know, he's walking out and the angel assists him right on down the street far enough that he can go on his own. And when he, angel leaves, Peter comes to himself and goes, wow, where does he go? When he realizes he's been free, straight to the church. They were meeting in a home, and uh, this home, you know, was probably a little bit larger because the church was there and there was a servant there. So you had to be a little bit more wealthy to have all of that in this day. And but they were praying in this home, and you know, it's he goes to knock on the door, and what happens? It's funny, isn't it? I mean, Rhoda comes out, and she hears his voice. She hadn't even seen him, but she recognizes his voice. They've been in there praying for Peter. And she's so excited, she rushes back. And this is ironic, too, is that the shackles and the iron gate were no problem, but getting back into the church was. (laughs) I dare say there's some proof in all of that, actually. And so he keeps knocking, you know. And I love it when we see the already. Some of you have testimonies in here where God intervened in your life and it was a miracle. You were like, I can't believe that happened. I have a, there's a, I think you'll put it up now. uh, It's a diagnosis by a doctor of a member of our church in Myrtle Beach. This lady, Terry, had been, they had on all kind of medical, uh, they had her on prescriptions and all kind of stuff for some other issues which were messing with her mind. Now she's a nurse. I mean, it made her suicidal, it made her depressed, and uh, eventually she had a a spell where she fell and just clenched her teeth together and just broke. It was terrible. They rushed her to MUSC. She wasn't coming out of the coma that she was in, and so her husband, Ronnie, called me. I went down to marry their daughter off, Karen and I did, by the bedside so she could be there before she died. The doctor said, come and do it. We went up there. We did the service in the room. I prayed for them, and Ronnie says, let me spend these last moments with my wife. And we walked out, and we're standing in the hall. When Ronnie came out, and he goes, where's the doctor? He says, I think I saw her eyes flutter. Let me just say this. She's back nursing right now. Did you see that? Did you see that on the screens? That's from the doctor. But the church was earnestly praying to God for Terry. And it was right down to the line. Seems like God is never, Jesus is never in a hurry. He always always looks late, doesn't he? Ask Lazarus. He's like, dude, why couldn't you get here a couple days earlier than this? But he's there. We love the already. You probably have your stories. I could list 
tons of wonderful times when I've seen people touch radically at the last minute. I saw a heroin addict, $400 a day heroin addict, whose wife stuck with him through the whole ordeal, who was delivered from heroin, which if you know anything about drugs is just unbelievable, in one evening. In the jail, in Alaska, locked up. And then when she showed up the next day, he's sitting up there. Like, I don't know what happened to me, but I'm good. <laughs> and he got out. I love it when we see the already of the kingdom. And we need to pray. And I think Luke spends more time on the already than he does the not yet. Because we have a tendency to grow a little bit jaded, right? When we pray and we don't see things happen. But this is where we live. But it doesn't mean but the church. The church steps into it. The church continues to pray. The church continues to give comfort when it's not the not yet. We don't let the devil have the last word. We swarm over a person with comfort and compassion. We say, let us help you. Let us do what we can for you. We do all that we can, but the church. But the church. No matter whether in James' situation or like Peter, it's but the church. What I want to leave with you guys today is that it's a miraculous thing when God brings a body of people together. I don't know why I'm holding this water. Um, it is a miraculous thing. What you see in this room is something very special. And it's a beautiful thing that, that the scripture doesn't delineate, doesn't specify how many or what building you had or any of that. It specifies as the body, the church the church. Some of us are waiting for something to happen before we feel like the church can do anything. And the Holy Spirit says, let me help you with that. Let me pray through you. But the church, but the church, whatever we encounter, may we see in action, but the church was earnestly praying. Father, I thank you for this body. I pray, as one theologian said, that there is a sense in this church in which God's will seems to be changed in answer to prayers. I pray for those of us, Lord, who have seen so much of the not yet that we have started to not pray for the already. Holy Spirit, would you come even now, Lord? And give hope. And yes, a conviction, Lord, that as the church earnestly prays, that you come, Lord. Somehow you have invited us into it. You've asked us to be a part of it. Somehow we play a part in seeing your will done on this earth. So our Father in heaven... May your will be done right here on this earth as it is in heaven.